You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Leaders on Leadership podcast, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk with leaders from all over the world on what it takes to truly pay the price of leadership. And I am so excited because my special guest today is Michelle Seiler Tucker. And Michelle is the president, founder, and CEO of Seiler Tucker Incorporated. She holds the M and AMI, which stands for Mergers and Acquisitions Master Intermediary title, as well as the Certified Mergers and Acquisitions Professional, CM and AP, and the Certified Senior Business Analyst, CSBA. Michelle also runs many other businesses in several different industries. As a 20-year veteran of the mergers and acquisition industry, she is regarded as the leading authority on buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. She and her firm have sold over 1,000 businesses in almost every vertical and have a remarkable track record of success. Michelle, I am so honored to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Dr. Tracy. It's a pleasure to be with you. I love it. And I especially love it because Tracy became Dr. Tracy because my dissertation was studying a merger that went south and that turned into a crisis event. So I studied two credit unions that in the end, it looked really good on paper, but then some attitudes got in the way and it went south in the end, they pulled it out. So I was all about fascinated by this. So Michelle, just thank you so much. You're welcome. You mean some ego got in the way. Oh, I mean some ego. And I tell people, I'm like, you say attitude, you mean ego. Uh, and it's so funny you said that. And I tell people, hey, merging companies is easy. Merging people is really hard. You know, on paper, it, it looks great. And I want to hear you talk all about that. So for our listeners, they're always like, Tracy, how do you meet all these tremendous people? And Michelle reached out to me, but we're going to talk at the end about her book that just came out, her Exit Rich. But she also knows a dear friend of mine, Sharon Lecter. And could you share a little bit about your relationship with Sharon, Michelle? Sure. So I met Sharon Lecter, gosh, years ago. I want to say the first time I met her was at CEO Spades. I'm sure you've heard of CEO Space. I spoke at CEO Space. I think she was the keynote speaker that year. And so we met there. And then we met at several other events, like Secret Knock, you know, some other events. And with Greg Reed. Just kinda, yeah. yeah, with Greg Reed. And then Eric Swanson and, you know, that whole network. And so anyway, we just spoke on the same stage and we kind of got to know each other a little bit. We got to know each other, but not like, close, good friends that hung out all the time because there's never time for that at these events. You know, we've, I fly in, I fly out. And so when I was writing Exit Rich, a good friend of mine, David Corbin said, because I was trying to make all the lists, I was trying to make Wall Street Journal and New York Times and all the lists. And my good friend, David Corbin said, you really should think about Sharon Lecter being your co-author because she was a co-author for Rich Dad Poor Dad. She's a New York Times bestselling author five times. And he goes, you really should consider her. And I said, do you think she's going to like my manuscript? <laughs> he goes, Michelle, she's going to love your manuscript. <laughs> so he read my manuscript. He loved it. He sent it to her. She said, I absolutely love it. I will add, you know, the mentor's corner after each chapter. Oh and that's kind of really how we began working together and writing together. And that's how we both wrote Exit Rich together. Well, I love that. And for our leaders out there, you heard Michelle say that, hey, will she like it? We all struggle with these things, but leadership is all about connections. And my father always said, it's the people you meet and the books you read. So today right. to our listeners, you get to meet the tremendous Michelle Tucker. And we're going to talk about her book at the very end. But Michelle- hey, but can I 
say something? Yes, It's not just the people you meet. It's what you do with those relationships. Absolutely. Because we can meet great people all day long, connect with them. And it's all about really connecting. Well, absolutely. And Michelle, same with books. I can sit there and look at it, but, and be taught, but until it's caught, all the books in the world won't help you. So absolutely phenomenal point. And I'm sure you're going to dive into more of that. So we are here because this podcast is really leaders out there, seasoned leaders. And they're so hungry to hear from people like you that have really walked the walk and have the battle scars to show it. And leadership Mm -hmm. is really tough, but it's also what makes life living. So my father did a speech called The Price of Leadership many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And in it, he says that there's four things that you are going to have to pay if you truly want to be a leader and not a lino, a leader in name only. And the first one of those, Michelle, he talks about is loneliness. And, you know, we kind of quip and say, you know, it's lonely at the top. And that's why a lot of people don't want to step into leadership because mm-hmm. you are kind of breathing different air. But mm-hmm. can you unpack for me what loneliness means to you as a leader, maybe a time in your career where you went through it and some words that you would have for our leaders if perhaps listening are in a season of loneliness? I've experienced loneliness different times in my career. One time that comes to mind very quickly is when I wasn't in my entrepreneurship role and I was actually working in corporate America. (laughs) I was working for Xerox and I was the vice president, regional vice president. I actually started out in sales. They recruited me. Xerox recruited me. Within six months, I was promoted to regional vice president. And then all my friends, I'm now their boss, but I was in charge of over a hundred salespeople. And to me, that was kind of a lonely position because all of these people were my friends because I beat them, you know, many of them threw their hat in a ring and interviewed for the position as well. And I had only been at Xerox for six months. They actually changed the policy to promote me. So a lot of these friends... I guess weren't really my friends because I stopped talking to me after that. And then I was just in corporate America, having meetings to schedule follow-up meetings with higher level management. And, you know, at Xerox, we all had fun. We all went out together. We all did things together. We were like one big happy family and a sales team. But when I got promoted to management, that completely changed. And that was a big time when I felt lonely. As far as what I do now, absolutely, there are times because, how do I say this? (laughs) You know, when we're doing multi, multi, multi multi-million dollar transactions, there's not always someone that we can bounce ideas off of Okay. at that level. Does that make sense? It sure does. And so sometimes that gets lonely because, you know, look, your network equals your net worth, right? And... The more successful you are, sometimes is when your friends change. You don't hang around the same people you used to hang around with. You don't associate with the same people you used to associate with for a multitude of reasons. So that can be a lonely point, especially if you haven't replaced those friends with new friends. Makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So let me ask you this. Where would you recommend, you know, I've heard it said new levels, new devils. So that's kind of like new problems, but I love that you put it about the more successful you are. That's when your friends change. And we're reading a book journal, the climber. And it's almost like when you get to the next peaks, not everybody who was on the previous peaks, a lot of people are going to lag behind and be like, this is I'm plateauing. 
What would you recommend for the leaders out there? I know you're dealing in an industry where it's very proprietary. You can't just go out there. But how did you fill that loneliness gap? Or do you fill yourself up? With well, fortunately for me, I own other businesses. So I fill that gap up with other companies I own. Okay. And I have friends in those companies. I have, you know, relationships in those companies. I have people of like mind in, yes. some, in those companies. So for me, it's other businesses that I own. It's also the friendships that I have. But, you know, for me, like I said, it's other businesses I own. So it's not just M&A, you know, M&A doesn't completely consume me. <laughs> Thank right. goodness. Yeah. I love that you brought that up for our listeners too. You may be like, well, I'm just struggling with one company. Look at Michelle. But I think her point is that you can have other, like I have my professional group. I have mastermind group. I have my physical, my health coaches. I have my spiritual coaches. I still have, they may be in different areas of expertise, but I love that she said that we're like-minded because so we're value congruent in that I know they got my back and loneliness isn't always about just looking for an answer, but just about knowing that you've got somebody in there with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. And there's lots of ways to fill that void. You know, there's other things you can try. Like for the very first time, I think about a month ago, I told my daughter, I have a 10 year old daughter. I'm like, you know what? We're going to play tennis. <laughs> and I haven't played tennis since high school. <laughs> So her and I have been taking tennis lessons every weekend and I love tennis. I love it. So there's different, you know, so just get outside and do something different that you've never done before. Try something new. You know, if you like writing, write a book, you know, just try something different that you've never done before. And that helps a lot of times fill the void. Plus I always say when you're lonely, be of service, be of value to someone else. When you're feeling lonely to me, it's more about suffering. You're thinking about you. You're thinking about you. You know, when you're in your pain, it's because we're suffering, right? And for suffering, are we being selfish? And sometimes it really helps to reach out and be a value to someone else. Absolutely. Wow. Outstanding. Okay. So that's loneliness. The next thing he talked about was weariness. Mm-hmm. And when you are leading the charge or you are responsible, you know, for, as you said, hundreds of people are making these deals, it's taxing because we don't get to sit and vegetate a lot because we're always moving physically, using our brains intellectually, pouring out into people spiritually. So how do you combat weariness, Michelle, so yeah. you stay at the top of your game? I tell you, for us, for me, it, is, it can be very taxing because if you think about it, what we do we're responsible for pretty much everybody because we're Mm -hmm. responsible for the sell side, right? So we're responsible for that seller. We're responsible for their employees and what happens to their employees, their employees' families, the vendors and JVs that they work with. We're responsible too for those buyers, making sure that we set them up for success, their employees, their families. I mean, it's a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. on our plate. And we're not just doing a deal. I mean, we're their psychologist, we're their babysitter, we're their lawyer, we're their CPA. You know, we wear all these different hats and it can be very taxing. It can be very difficult because every deal falls apart and we have to put it back together again. 
So the whole world of that transaction is on our shoulders. <laughs> and there's been many times where my deal has fallen apart and times where I've called my husband and go, why am I in this? Why do I do this? <laughs> and then my husband reminds me. So for me, I think it's just, yes, I get to that point sometimes where, not very often, but sometimes where I'm like, oh my God, it's too much. And then... I always say to myself, this too shall pass. Yes. This too shall pass. And I have this philosophy. Now it's difficult. So I have this philosophy, but I have to practice, practice, practice. But my philosophy has always been, if it doesn't affect my life in the next five years, then I'm not going to let it bother me. If it doesn't affect my life in the next five years, then I'm not going to let it bother me. Mm-hmm. And then my slogan has always been, this too shall pass. I'll try not to kick your ass. <laughs> I don't know if I can say that on your show, but I just did. I love that. How can I? <laughs> you are my sister from another mister. I cannot believe I haven't thought of that. This too shall pass. So I own a company in Houston. And my partner called me up one day. And he goes, I've had it. I can't take it anymore. These employees, I'm about to fire them all. I go, don't fire them all because then you're going to be doing everything. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. That. And he goes, well, what do I do? And I said, you just put up a sign, a big sign in front of your computer that says this too shall pass. I'll try not to kick your ass. He goes, I love it. And then he put the sign up everywhere. (laughs) There you go. You know, oh my gosh, Michelle, that reminds me, my dad would say, people would be like, I quit, I quit. I don't like the people I work with. And he's like, well, you're going to hate them anywhere you go. Might as well stay here where you, you know, at least know who you're dealing with. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. I love that. Okay, so weariness, I love that. And I love that you brought up for the entrepreneurs that may be in the Valley. The Valley has an end point, okay? Mm -hmm. And then we come out of it. It's not the journey to the bottomless black hole pit, all right? There always is a bottom and life is a pendulum. And some days you're going to have the best week of your life. The next week could be the worst, but you just got to keep going. You just got to keep going. And then you have to focus on your why, you know, what is your why? And your why needs to serve a bigger purpose in yourself. Absolutely. Because again, when people get depressed, when people get so caught up in things, I think a lot of times, you know, like Tony Robbins says, that's when you're in a suffering state. Yeah. Well, you hit on that earlier. You said, and I wrote it down as really pain stems from self-focus. So -hmm. the more you orient everything back to you Mm -hmm. and get in, my dad would say thumb sucker mode, you make Mm -hmm. it worse. You get in this rumination. I mean, Mm -hmm. psychologists call it that this, you can give your body a disease of the mind because you're just Mm -hmm. on this negative thinking. Right. right. Yeah. And so you got to take the focus off of yourself and put the focus on other people. There's always somebody that has it so much worse than you. And there's so many people that are lonely. You really need to be of service to some, be a value to someone else. And that's a wonderful way. If you are feeling weary, take stock of how much are you focusing on yourself? Mm -hmm. Because self-focus will deplete you. I know of no quicker way (laughs) to end up feeling miserable than to just withdraw into myself and that kind of bird in the gilded cage where it's just me, myself and I and having my pity party. So thank you. And you know, and it can be easy. It doesn't have to be complicated. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been times where I've been at a restaurant with my daughter and I see a family, it looks like maybe they could be struggling, you know, and we just buy them dinner and then we leave, you know, and, or we go to the grocery store and we bought somebody's groceries for them before that look like they're struggling. And so my daughter gets to see that. Yes. You know, she gets to see giving back and it makes you feel so much better when you do something for someone else 
versus always thinking about yourself. Right. And that's how we get refreshed. I love that's it. Right. Okay. And it can be so simple, like at a restaurant, yeah. you know, right. Buy somebody that's an ice beautiful. cream. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't have to be expensive. Yeah. Okay, Michelle, loneliness, weariness. The next topic my dad addressed was abandonment. And mm-hmm. typically abandonment kind of has that negative connotation, fear of abandonment. I'm in pet rescue. So abandonment is a very bad thing. But he talked about abandonment in that you need to stop thinking about what you like and want to think about in favor of what you ought and need to think about. And he would always tell me, Tracy, I'm like, dad, how'd you get so successful? And he's like, I do more in a day to contribute to my failure than I do my success because I am not being very hyper-focused about, and like you said, it's a habit. You and I, everybody out there listening, we don't get up different. And all of a sudden our brains Every day you got to do this, but how do you really stay focused, Michelle? You've got so many different pieces, companies, deals cooking. How do you stay? You must be tremendously streamlined and laser focused to keep all the pieces moving. What are some words of advice for our listeners? It's all about habits, right? So first things first, you know, I have different habits on the weekends, I have during a weekday, but on a weekday, first thing I do is always give gratitude. And I do that in front of my daughter. So she sees me, but I always give gratitude first thing in the morning. And a lot of times before she gets up, so then I have to do it again. <laughs> so yeah. I always give gratitude. Number one, I work out and I get up at like 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m., give gratitude, work out. I read a chapter in a book that I've been working on that I've been reading daily. It's hard for me to read a book every day or, you know, a book a week. Cause I do have a daughter and I do have businesses. I'm pretty busy. And then I focus on results. So I don't only really focus on to do's. Mm-hmm. I focus more on energy management versus time management. Ooh. So what I focus on is those things that I do better than everybody else that I can't okay. delegate and I delegate the rest. So I focus on energy management. So energy management are focusing on those things that only you can really do. And I'm focused on results, mm-hmm. not on the tasks. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Okay. As far as energy management, I encourage everyone to keep a diary or keep a journal of the last 30 days and write down everything that you do from the minute you get up to the minute you go to bed, everything, even from brushing your teeth, showering, et cetera. And then there's three different buckets. You got the A bucket, the B bucket, the C bucket. A bucket is those things that only you can do. Like only I can write my books. I tried a ghostwriter. It was terrible experience for me. Right. (laughs) So only I can write my books. Only I can do my podcast. Only I can really be a guest on podcast. Only I can really negotiate these multi, multi, 50, 70, $100 million transactions. Unfortunately, nobody else in my company really can do that yet. It's only I can do that. So that's my type A. That's my A bucket. My B bucket are those things that I'm really good at, but I can delegate. Other people can do them too. I'm really good at evaluations and analyst work, but I have a team of analysts that I can delegate that to because it's very time intensive. And it's very energy draining. I can write the Sims. These are the prospectuses that go to our clients. But I have a team of writers. Mm -hmm. Okay. And again, it's very time consuming. So I delegate those things that I can do. 
but I don't need to because other people can do them just as well, if not better. Mm-hmm. And in a C bucket, all those things you should never do. <laughs> you should never do. Yeah. You know, those are things like people are going to laugh at me, but I'm going to say, go to the grocery store. <laughs> You're not going to see me going to the grocery Amen. store. Preach. I haven't been to a grocery store since Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> and I don't plan on going. <laughs> so to me, that's an energy zapper. Yes. Mowing the lawn is an energy zapper. I do have somebody cleans my house. It's an energy zapper, you know? So these are energy zappers that completely deplete your energy. And you, we really have to take stock of what we make. You know, what do we make per hour? If you make $100 an hour, do you want to do these type of tasks that maybe you can hire somebody for 10, 15, even 20 bucks an hour? Right. So we really got to figure out what our time is worth, what our energy is worth. And outsource the rest. Does that make sense? One of my favorite quotes is, I think it's Dan Sullivan. And he said, delegate everything but genius. I'm sure you've read Michael Gerber's E-Myth Revisited. Mm -hmm. If you're the entrepreneur, you have to have the managers and technicians and we know how to do it, but you got to let them do your thing. So you're up here doing the the E thing. But even as smaller business owners, like the solopreneurs, right? You know, I see a lot of women starting businesses from their home, but they're still they're still taking care of their kids. Yeah. They're still cleaning their house. Yeah. They're still trying to do everything. Right. You know, like I said, if you don't have an assistant, you are the assistant. Yes. So you really need to take inventory of what you do every day. Focus on your genius. Delegate the rest. Okay. Excellent. That is really profound. And how long did it take you before you realized that? I mean, before you said, hey, I think a lot of solopreneurs or people that are very small are like, when do you see that tipping point or when you really need to bring in additional help? Because that's always a tough point because then there's training, there's added costs. So how would you recommend? Well, I think you need to bring people in. I've always bought people in right away. I've never been a solopreneur. (laughs) Okay. I think you need to bring people in right away. Now, there's a big difference between bringing a W-2 in, bringing 1099 in, or bringing an intern in. I hear you. So if you're a solopreneur, you might not start out with a W-2. You might start out with a 1099, or you might start out with an intern. Okay. You know, everybody forgets that there's all these colleges. Right. I'm like sitting in between five of them. And we have wait lists for interns, for analysts, positions, marketing positions. You need to go to your local college. You need to form a relationship with them. You need to get on the bulletin boards. You need to advertise in these communities and really get some interns. I've been telling my company that in Houston for quite a while that you really need to work through and try to get interns and then also 1099s. And if they're good, then you convert them. Right. You know, but you got to start somewhere. And as a solopreneur, that's where you start. You start right away because you're never going to grow. It's like the six P's and exit rich. The first P is people. You don't build a business. You build people and people build the business. So even as a solopreneur, you're never really going to grow your business unless you get somebody in there helping you. Well, thank you for that. And you know what? I just had a brilliant intern this past summer and she came on as 1099. So for the folks out there, yeah, I mean, you just from my alma mater too, and never would have thought of that. So that fell in my lap, but I got to echo that was then and, you need to vet people and see their skill set. Yeah. And I never hire anyone anyway without having a work week where they come in and yeah. work for a week to right. make sure they're a good fit. But yes, yeah, so internship is great. We have an internship program where they go from an internship, a paid internship program to a higher permanent position, if it's a good fit, mm-hmm. you know? So internships are great. It also gives you a chance, you know, because everybody's like, well, you know, it's hard to work for, with millennials and Gen Zs. And 
I don't find that to be true. I think it's hard to work with any demographic. You know, it depends upon the right person. You just have to get the right one. You have Absolutely. to get the right millennial. I have to get the right Gen Z's. And I just happen to get all the right ones. Yeah. Or the right boomer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. That's really great insights because we can't do it all. Otherwise, we'll fall into the we weirdness. Can't do loneliness it all. One thing, sense. though, I want you to know. Yes. Is if you do bring on an intern or you do bring on that 1099, you have to have them sign an agreement the states you own the work that they have produced. Okay. So if they're writing articles or blogs or taking videos or photographs or any creative content, you want to make sure that you own that content. There's okay. been many situations where lawsuits have occurred because the 1099 sued the employer saying, oh no, I own that content because they're trying to get paid off of it. Right. So you're going to make sure. they were in a front, kind of an independent, yeah. Right. So I'll probably make sure they sign that disclaimer. Okay. Outstanding. All right. So lastly, Michelle, vision. And my father always said, vision is really just seeing what needs to be done, which a lot of people will tell you that. But then he says, but then it's also just doing it. Because so many mm-hmm. people will be big talkers, you know, it's like, I remember those guys talking about the law of attraction. There is no law of attraction without action. Can you share with us vision, how you continue to hone your vision? Maybe when you left Xerox and sales and said, you know what, I've got the entrepreneurial bug. And, and how did you go into the field that you went into? And how do you keep honing your vision? Yeah. So, you know, in my book, Exit Rich, I have knowledge is power, right? Knowledge is power. And I give, you know, some really unique case studies of things that have happened, like Dollar Shave Club was about to go bankruptcy. They made one little tweak in their process and not a multi-billion dollar corporation. Wow. But then I say implement imp- implementation is key. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't implement, you're never going to be successful. So I think vision is huge. As far as when I left Xerox, I did it with a parachute. <laughs> so I was really, really missing entrepreneurship because I had businesses before Xerox. I owned different businesses and different verticals. Now, here I am working in corporate America, and I just really missed entrepreneurship. But I didn't want to leave my six-figure great benefits <laughs> position either. And right. I was really climbing up that Xerox ladder really quickly. And so I knew there was, you know, big plans for me at Xerox. And so I was looking to buy a business on the side and keep my day job. But I stumbled across a franchise or actually my husband knew one of the founders and they only had a couple of franchises. And I said, look, I want to buy a franchise. And I go, no, no, no. We know of you. We know your nickname is The Closer. Because <laughs> my nickname at Xerox is The Closer. And they said, we want you to partner with us, help put us on the map, and we'll give you a franchise. And I said, hmm, okay, but you're not very successful, so I'm not going to leave my great position with corporate America for a company that's not very successful. I said, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll try it out for six months and see how it works. So I did that for six months, made more money in six months than I did a whole year at Xerox, and I knew that was the right path. Plus, I also met with other franchisors that wanted me to partner with them. So I started my franchise sales, consulting, and development business. So I did it with a parachute. Yeah, well, that's okay. Okay, I often tell people, don't just burn the ships. You only do that more. But if you can have a nice transition, that alleviates a lot of the, you know, nail biting and stuff like that and, and saves the stress on the family. Right. Okay. So anyway, so I did that. So vision, to me, vision, you know, Most entrepreneurs don't have a problem with vision. 
Most entrepreneurs are great at vision. They're poor at integrating their vision. Mm. Every entrepreneur needs a great integrator. And rather that's the traction system, if you believe in traction, or whatever system you study and you believe in, every great entrepreneur needs a great integrator. Because entrepreneurs are not always the best. Right. And integrating and all, you know, the devil's in the details. Right. Entrepreneurs are like, this is my vision. This is my vision. Make it happen. (laughs) So we need somebody to help us make it happen. How'd you find your integrators? How many integrators do you have? Do you have one per business? Do you have? No, I wish. (laughs) I wish. Good. I was just on the phone with an integrator the other day. Good integrators are hard to find. Yes. You know, they really are hard to find. No, I don't have an integrator everywhere. I have COOs, chief operating officers. Correct. We are looking at hiring an integrator for a couple of our companies. And so we're interviewing different ones right now. But it's like anything else. You got to make sure you do your due diligence, get references, et cetera, because you want to make sure you get the right one. And- okay. So can you unpack that as in my previous careers, I was an operations girl. I love operations, but when you say integrator, what does that, I mean, I always tell people I'm looking for a hybrid project manager that can do all the op stuff, but look for yeah. and pull the finances, everything together. What do you define as an integrator? So, you know, have you read traction? Yes, I have. The OS system. 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so they have the implementer and then they have the integrator. Ah. The implementer is someone who sits down and meets with you and asks you all the questions about where you see yourself, where do you want to see yourself? But they're just asking the questions and helping to craft a strategy. They're not the ones integrating. (laughs) Traction is a big one if you really want an integrator. So an integrator is somebody who's really in the visionary's head and takes those ideas and knows what's going on with each one of the teams and works with the teams to make sure that everybody's working towards one common goal, make sure that everybody's in alignment, making sure that everybody understands the vision. That's really what an integrator does. Okay. And I remember when we were studying our merger that went south, one of the terms in the motivation, the PhD were was collective efficacy, which means hey, does everybody agree with this merger? And you could see clearly half of them did not. So you already had a schism where half the people were literally trying to, you can't integrate the entrenched. You know what I'm saying? And so that's fascinating. But I love that. I love that you said integrators have to be in the uh, visionary's head. And see, it's a big difference between an integrator and a COO, right? Yes. Now I see that. Yes. Yeah. So a COO is supposed to what? What's a COO do? A day-to-day operations, tactical, a little bit of strategy, get the right. stuff done. Yeah. Day-to-day operations, make sure you cross the T's, dot the I's, quality control, you know, but the integrator is taking that vision from out of the entrepreneur's head and integrating it into the CEO's head and each to, into each one of the different departments. Make sense? I think I need to write a job description for that and go out and serve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a small group of integrators. I was on the phone with one of them yet last week and I said, oh, okay, you got a group. How many? She goes, five. <laughs> one of the biggest problems I have found with the integrators is that they take on too many clients and then they don't have any integrators underneath them. Oh, and sure. So that's a big problem. They can't scale the integration. <laughs> they can't scale the integration. <laughs> you need to integrate the integration. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's well, one yeah. of the biggest problems. There was a lady in Houston. We were looking at hiring. I'm like, you already have a couple of big clients. One I know very well, and they don't want to let you go. Oh, and good insights, Michelle. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big problem with it with an integrator. Um, sometimes you could take somebody like yourself who's been in project management and really teach them, certify them to be an integrator. Because mm-hmm. this lady in Houston, she didn't just come from EOS. She was an operations manager. She was a CFO. She's got lots of different skill sets, you know, but she's been trained by the EOS system. Okay. Well, coming yeah. back and running dad's company, I'm an opera. I'm an engineer by trade. I'm an ops. I was in the military. I'm a systems uh. processor girl. I'm a total left brainer. And then I get into the creative space where it's a legacy business. And I'm like, I have to flip over and become that, become that side. So very interesting. Yeah. Wow. You don't have to flip over. You're not flipping over. You're just well, yeah, I know what you're saying. You yeah. just become ambidextrous yeah. and you both right brain, left right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Who knew? Well, I know that existed. That was always exciting. Yeah. So ambidextrous. Yeah. Look, I do this with my daughter. I tell her, brush your teeth with your left hand. Throw a ball with your left hand. I want to see you color with your left hand. Because I want to teach, look, we use a very small portion of our brain, right? We all have the capability of using so much more of our brain than we do on a daily basis. One of the biggest things is teaching yourself how to be ambidextrous. Mm. Crazy. I love it. And just get out of the pattern and start using your left hand more. Right. I love it. I'm going to try it out. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So Michelle, so we covered loneliness, weariness, abandonment, and vision. And boy, you gave us quite a few great sound bites, thoughts, really insights on leadership. Is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners that maybe we haven't touched on so far? I think the biggest thing is back to loneliness. I think a lot of people entering entrepreneurship, because I've heard this from other entrepreneurs, are like, oh, Michelle, it's so lonely. <laughs> you know, I don't know who to call when I'm making a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it can feel lonely, but here's the bottom line. There's so many entrepreneurs. I mean, there's 30.2 million businesses in the United States. And the majority of them are small businesses employing over half the U.S. workforce. So there's a lot of entrepreneurs all around us. There's masterminds, there's networking groups, there's women's association. You know, your network equals your net worth. So you don't have to be lonely. The biggest thing I would say to entrepreneurs is don't do it alone. That's the biggest mistake the business owners make and entrepreneurs make. Don't do it alone. Find yourself a mentor somebody that's been down the path you want to travel, they will shorten, but not just any mentor. You can't just be any mentor. Sometimes, you know, people go to the speaking events and there's good people that speak and there's not so good people that speak. There's ethical people that speak and not so ethical people that speak. So just don't go to an event and hire somebody as your mentor. Don't do it that way. Seek them out, you know, and look for somebody in your industry or it doesn't necessarily have to be in your industry, but somebody who's been highly, highly successful and has traveled down the path you want to travel because they will shorten your learning curve dramatically. Mm -hmm. They will shorten your path to success dramatically. And I always say, this is my quote, I always say, it's hard to read the label from the inside of a bottle. You need an outsider's perspective to read the warning signs and keep you out of the danger zone. Okay. And what got you, I'm going to quote a book, what got you here won't get you there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So as you grow yourself and your business, and by the way, you will never grow a business beyond what you can grow as an owner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I tell my partners that I'm never going to grow your business beyond what I can grow you. (laughs) And so if you want to grow your business, you have to grow as an individual. Yes. Now, Michelle, talk to me. How do people get in touch with you? How do they connect with you? And I want to talk about your book that just came out too, Exit Rich. Sure. So they can go to SilerTucker.com. That's SilerTucker.com. They connect with me on social media. It's Michelle Siler Tucker on Instagram. LinkedIn, connect with me, Michelle Siler Tucker. I think those are my handles. <laughs> Michelle Siler Tucker on Facebook, Twitter. And I'm sure you'll put them all in the show notes. We sure will. So Siler Tucker. And then my book, Exit Rich, which is an ink original. Wall Street Journal bestseller, USA Today bestseller, had the numbers to make New York Times. I don't know what happened. (laughs) Endorsed by Steve Forbes. Steve Forbes says, Exit Rich is a gold mine because entrepreneurs leave way too much money on the sale of their business. And Exit Rich, by the way, is just not for selling your company. Steve Forbes also says 80% of businesses will never sell. 80%, that should be a big wake-up call for business owners because you have less than a 20% chance of success. Mm. And the number one reason for that is because business owners treat their business as their baby, Mm -hmm. not as a valuable asset that it is. Mm. And they don't build, they don't build their business for somebody. They don't build a business that somebody actually wants to buy because most entrepreneurs have done what? They built a glorified job and wish they'd go to work at every day versus a business that works for them. Right. Okay. So Exit Rich is all about building a sustainable business that you can scale. And when you're ready, you will actually have a sellable asset. Sharon Lecter, who you've met, who's a good friend of yours. She is my co-author. Again, New York Times bestselling author from Rich Dad Poor Dad. She's a CPA, financial literacy expert. And she writes the mentor's corner after each one of my sections, after each one of my chapters. And as a bonus, her husband is an intellectual property attorney. And he adds his two cents as well under the proprietary section, mm-hmm. which is extremely valuable. And then Kevin Harrington, the original shark on Shark Tank, wrote the foreword. And of course, we got glowing testimonials from Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We have Les Brown. Brad Sugars from Action Coach, not traction, but action. Yes, I know. <laughs> action Brad, Coach. Yes, yes. And we have Brandon Dawson from Grant Cardone's team. Oh. We got Tom Hopkins, some of the oldest, but the greatest, Tom Hopkins and Brian Tracy. Wow. So we've got some really good testimonials. So you can go to Exit Rich. So as far as ordering Exit Rich, if you're outside the United States, I encourage you to go to Amazon because of shipping cost. Inside the United States, I encourage you to go to ExitRichBook.com. Because expertsbook.com for $24.79 plus shipping will email you the digital download, will ship the hardcover to your doorstep, will give you a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club. There we have video content and me doing training, some of these really deep dive training on these different strategies and techniques that I've been teaching for the last 20 years in the trenches, plus documents, documents to operate your business, documents to sell your business. So we have sample org charts, policy and procedure manuals for to sell your business, sample letter of intents, purchase agreements, due diligence, checklists, closing docs, and more. All the documents you need to operate and sell your company are there for your review and your download. And Tracy, I can promise you all these documents, if you went to go recreate, it would cost you over $50,000. I know because I spent the money. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. 
And then oh we're also goodness. giving you, we're also, but wait, there's more. <laughs> we're also giving a 30 day free membership into club CEOs. And that is an entrepreneurship mastermind where we really help business owners ask transformational questions so they can pivot and build that sustainable, scalable, and sellable business. All at exitrichbook.com for $24.79. My goodness. Oh, well, Michelle, thank you so much for putting that. I can't wait to get You're that. You're welcome. That's a lot of value. <laughs> a lot of value indeed. All right. Well, Michelle, to our listeners out there, I know that you are just scribbling down and thanking God there is a transcription of all these tremendous thoughts and that you can listen to this again. But Michelle, I just want to thank you so much. Your wisdom, your expertise, a woman of your caliber spending time with us. And I know you're humble, but I mean, I'm just in awe of the truth you dispense. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being with you. Thank Absolutely. you. And I so enjoyed the conversation. I'm so thankful you're in our tremendous tribe and for our listeners out there. Thank you. If you like this podcast, you get on there and you hit the subscribe button. Please do us the honor of a five-star rating and please share and leave us a comment. We answer all our comments and for our leaders out there. Thank you so much for being a part of our tremendous tribe and paying the price of leadership. You can go over to tremendousleadership.com and at the bottom of the notes on the uh, transcription, you can download your free copy of The Price of Leadership so you can see how you can pay the price of leadership as well, just like Michelle and, and all of our other guests did. So without further ado, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you again, Michelle, and have thank a you. tremendous rest of the day. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.